Welcome to the future of NFTs, brought to you by Adlunum, the first engaged to earn proof of attention IDO launchpad. Hosted by co-founder Natya Vester, we bring you exclusive insights on NFTs, the revolutionary digital technology that's transforming the world as we know it. Hey, Web3 World, this is Natya Vester from Adlunum, and you are listening to The Future of NFTs, the show that looks beyond current NFT use cases and dives into what non-fungible token technology is evolving into. All this as seen through the eyes and built by the very fascinating minds of the guest speakers that we are lucky enough to speak to each week. Of course, Adlunum is the only Web3 investment platform that rewards attention with allocation through our Engage to Earn model with its dynamic NFT investor profiles, NFT allocation fractionalization, and our one-of-a-kind proof-of-attention allocation mechanism. So on to today, I'm very, very excited to be speaking to David Peng, who is the CEO of Webmint, uh, which we will learn about very shortly. David is a former corporate lawyer uh, who found his way into crypto in 2016, so really early days, when his firm acted for Binance and various other blockchain-based companies. Um, so I'm very excited to be speaking to David because I think he brings with him a rich history into what the space is all about and how it's evolved from what he first encountered in 2016 to where we are in 2023 today. Um, so David, ever since, uh, he's been very deep into the space. Of course, this is how things evolve in Web3 very often. Uh, he met his co-founders on Discord, uh, where they successfully built an NFT project, which became number one on OpenSea and recorded over 11,000 ETH in trade volume. Uh, so driven by the fundamental belief that a future of the internet is co-created, uh, which is yeah, definitely the philosophy that we all share in the space, David is now building Webmint, a tool that helps brands activate, engage, and reward their community in Web3. So very relevant conversation, because I think as we see, David, um, I've been in the space since... 2017, so shortly after you, and I've really seen the evolution over the years. Uh, when I first came in, I came in as a journalist, so I, you know I had this sort of perspective of you had the builders, but you also had the believers, and kind of the confluence of all of these different people who this is where dreams were going to become a reality. And of course, over the years. Uh, you know, idealism always sets in first, and it's very important for there to be this idealistic approach. And then, I mean, realism, and as as one integrates into the existing systems and models that they already are, um, the space matures and takes on a maturity that is very needed. And I think at the moment, what I'm seeing, uh, especially post the uh, most recent bear market, um, brands are taking things in a different direction. Um, and I think this is a conversation that is becoming so important because you have the Web3 purists who believe that in order for the space to remain and to become something, it has to be a complete sort of, you know, you have to disembark from where you were on your way and, and head on to this new train. And uh, and it's not practically very possible because we we are entrenched in a society 
that already have, you know, certain ways of doing things. So I'm very curious, um, in the context of these changes, um, how do you see Webman at this time? Um, why now? Why is it different from all the other times uh, during which you could have started? And, and what makes it different to start it at this time as opposed to a couple of years ago? Um, well, I, I think that the difference is really about hype and where we are um, as, as a society. I think um, a couple of years ago, certainly when I first jumped into the space, it was sort of, if, if you think that the NFT space is the Wild West now, as you probably know, back in 2016, it was even crazier. Um, you know, that was the days of the ICOs where every every single thing had a token. Uh, and nowadays, I think 99.9% .9 of those tokens um, don't exist anymore. Um, as a lawyer, and certainly um, in my social circle or my legal circle of friends, um, the number of just random teams coming and saying, hey, we want to do an ICO without really understanding um, the technology was crazy. Um, but now I think we've reached a stage where um, blockchain and cryptocurrency has moved beyond just sort of hypothetical uh, play a hypothetical monopoly money to uh, people actually seeing real use cases um, in the form of NFTs and, and the way that they unlock communities and experiences. Um, you know, the last year we saw a huge uptake in interest in NFTs and the transactions on um, OpenSea and things like that. So I think now is a, is a time where uh, brands are starting to look at different ways to engage their communities um, digitally because we've reached a stage where now we're seeing more innovative uh, products being born out of blockchain technology. So for example, like the, the metaverses, like Sandblock, uh, Sandblocks, Sandbox and Roblox, I'm combining two metaverses here, um, coming through uh, as well as, you know, big brands like uh, Starbucks and Nike uh, entering the space and offering these ideas of uh, co-creation um, and the ability to access exclusive events and merchandise and things like that. Yeah, and I, I think this is what makes this so interesting because I, I had a marketing agency or communications agency at the time of the ICO craze. So that was really, uh, I'm almost in a, in a sense ashamed to admit it sometimes because it was a crazy period and there was so much of hope and hopium almost uh, in the air that, you know, it, it, it was it was a different time to experience the technology um, than it is now. I I prefer the way that things are heading now because I think it's it's rooted in the future um, in a way that that was not sustainable. It was too it was too much of muchness. It needed to be toned down a little bit. Um, Partly that's due to regulations. I mean, it was really the wild west and you could do whatever the hell you wanted without any consequences. And and I mean, we are living the consequences now because the industry has a very negative rap, um, unfortunately. Um, if you mention to someone, you know, I always I always put a caveat if I'm if I mention what industry I'm in, <laughs> or I feel like I need to. You know what? I'm not don't worry, I'm not one of those Bitcoin scammers. Um, so, so definitely we've come through and I think we've survived. Um, yeah, that, especially as you say, as a lawyer, you really saw people coming in with lots of ideas, but it wasn't, it wasn't executable in the way that they wanted it to be because society, I mean, whether it will never be ready for it or it wasn't ready at that time, 
but it was a completely different way of thinking. But so now tell tell me a bit about Webmint and where do you see yourself um, as a company? Because I think, you know, as I was saying earlier, you have these Web3 purists uh, that are kind of pushing, yeah. and, and I'm not using the term um, in any, in, by any means in a negative light. I think it's very important to have the, the, the ideals and to be very focused on the ideals. But you are also seeing a lot of brands coming in and navigating the space and making it their own, which is what they should be doing because ultimately it is just a technology. So how do you see Webmint? I mean, where do you position yourself? Maybe that's a better question. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a good point um, on the sort of the, the purest side of things. Um, Webmint, I mean, not Webmint, Web3 um, and NFTs in particular, it does have a PR problem in the sense that it's all about tearing down the system and, and, and you know, starting again with these ideas of centralization um, and, and ownership. But the reality is outside of this sort of echo chamber of Web3 that we live in, the majority of people don't really care about you know, decentralization or ownership um, and and simply uh, don't share the same sentiment, you know, that they are your average um, mom and dad consumers uh, who understand Web 2 as it is now um, and are not going to just abandon existing infrastructure, which they've spent 20 years learning for, for this, new, uh, this new form of internet. Um, so I think the way Webmint positions itself is we, we believe that the future of Web3 requires sort of onboarding um, from Web2, so from traditional brands, and for them to sort of leverage their existing uh, reach, their existing community to bring their users into uh, Web3. And so we do that by building effectively a suite of uh, no-code and easy-to-use tools that enables um, that enable brands to create a Web3 three experiences for their existing communities. Um, so, so one uh, example of that is one of the more popular models that we see these days is brands are wanting to launch NFTs um, that have some sort of utility attached to them. So if you are a coffee, a coffee shop or a coffee provider, um, you know, launching an NFT that gives your users uh, redeemable coffee on a daily basis, um, access to future merchandising, um, things like that. I think that this is probably the most exciting aspect to all of this is as we continue to move away from this idea that everything needs to be tokenized, for example, um, everything needs to have a token. Every token needs to you know, perform and, and in the bull market, it's great to have this kind of mentality until the market dies and then essentially your token is worth nothing. Um, and I mean, this is very much the, the hype mentality, of course, that, that we've become so accustomed to in this industry for better or for worse. Um, but what I'm really excited about seeing is, yeah, especially the technology of NFTs, uh, since this is the, the, the topic of the show today, um, is to really see this move beyond um, the just the fundraising model. Because um, I think a lot of the PR problem that we have been seeing in, in the Web3 industry is very much related to, to the financial aspect, which, of course, again, I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's the draw card that gets a lot of people here. And that's very good um, that, that people are interested. But at the same time, this idea that 
in order to get to Web3, we need the 2.5. Um, and what does the 2.5 mean? Yes, for most people, it doesn't mean they are going to become the next spokesperson for decentralization and ownership of data. And I mean, they really don't care. And, and they probably don't need to care because everyone... My, my philosophy is we need to live in a world where these tools are all accessible to all of us. So if you choose to care, you know, you can get into it, but it, but it should be available to you. And I think this is really what I'm seeing in the market right now. And I would love to get your perspective on who are these people that are being targeted? Because now it seems like there's a bigger shift on Web 2.5 than there was before. Before it was almost, you have this banner of mass adoption and whatever that means, but one day mass adoption is going to come. And now we have to go out there and we need to do the actual work. So the actual work is in the 2.5. And so who are people that through Webmint that you see segments of society that are becoming onboarded onto Web3 without perhaps really realizing um, what is happening to them? I think that yeah, that's exactly the issue. It's it's the onboarding. I mean, without without a, a smooth uh, user experience, onboarding is going to be extremely difficult. Uh, right now, for the average user who has no interest in crypto um, or NFTs, telling them to create a wallet and remembering a string of of twenty four words, and then trying to explain that if you lose the twenty four words, you lose all your assets is is just bizarre and and just crazy, right? If you try to explain that to someone who has no idea what this technology is about, um, so what what we're seeing and what we're building at Webman is um, a lot of ways to onboard users with the infrastructure that they already have and are used to. So what I mean by that is you know the ability to um, create a wallet or to purchase an NFT with uh, your Gmail account, your Facebook account, your Instagram account, and the ability to purchase um, with a credit card or with fiat currency, as opposed to having to go into some DeFi app to acquire Ethereum or Matic to, to purchase your NFTs. Um, so those are the segments that are being targeted right now, because I think with the mania and the hype of NFTs, um, you know, dating back to, uh, July last year, and then, you know, the crypto hype uh, a few years before that, those who would have entered anyway by, you know, going through all the steps to to get Web3 infrastructure have already done so. Um, and now we're looking at easing that onboarding problem um, for, for those who are not yet in the space. Um, and I think one example of a brand that's done that really well is, um, I think, Reddit, who were able to, I think, don't quote me on the actual numbers, but I think they were able to have 300 uh, or 3 million uh, wallets uh, created on, on Polygon. Um, and they didn't, even though their community were very much anti-NFT uh, because they simply just sold, uh, they marketed it as digital collectibles um, rather than using the word NFT, which, you know, evokes a bunch of emotional reactions from a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think that is, Reddit is such a great example of, also, a the problem and also the solution, uh, or, or a p potential solution. Let's put it that way. Um, I think Star Starbucks has done something similar in really, I mean, creating an NFT loyalty system, but not focusing on the fact that it's NFTs. Um, what I what I find very interesting is um, I'm writing a book this year and using Web three technologies. 
And originally I set out the audience of the book was, you know, other people in Web3, I was taking a more philosophical approach to it. Um, but then because when I'm writing, I mean, when you're writing a book, you, you tend to talk about it in everyday life as well. So I now find myself having so many conversations that's very one-on-one. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've worked in the industry for years, but I, well, to be honest, people were not very interested in what I, what I'm, what I'm doing. So, so everyone knew I was doing that weird crypto blockchain, you know, NFTs, whatever that means, but, but people were not very interested. And now with the book, I find myself very often referring to the 101. And this is the thing that comes up for me the most is people are genuinely curious. Um, there's a lot of people who, I mean, some people for sure have never heard of it. Um, but most people that you speak to, especially if you talk to them at a level, I mean, if they respect you as a person, they, they're more open-minded to hear what it is that you are doing. But then the next question is, okay, but how do I get involved? And up until now, I mean, exactly as you say, you have to create a wallet and you have to have, remember this phrase. And frankly, it's too much for people who, I mean... <laughs> All of us are just trying to make ends meet in a digital world where we are constantly inundated with information, with content, like we never slow down. And now there's this new layer on top of it. So I, I really see the difference it's making if you have something like signing in with your Gmail account, if you are able to buy something with your credit card. So do you think that going forward, um, because we've spoken a bit about NFTs as a sort of meta concept as a technology um how do you think are we going to start seeing things integrated into everyday life i mean now it's okay there's a reddit thing happening over there and it's a starbucks thing yeah but but it's very it's very separate from everyday reality for most people um do you think that there's going to come a point within the next and maybe this is a question to you how long do you think it's going to take for that to become an everyday experience, maybe not for most people on the internet, but you know how social media became a thing. There was this mass consciousness where suddenly everyone was on Facebook and before no one was on there. Um, so, so maybe this is the mass adoption, but I think for me, mass adoption, mass adoption is an illusion because we see this with the internet as well. I mean, it, th there's no mass adoption in, in, in one second. It's an evolution. Um, so how do you see NFTs as a technology getting to the point where for most people, they have been exposed to it, even if they're not fully into it? How long do you think that's going to take? I think that's the golden question that, you know, everyone, including investors, um, really want to know. Um, I, I wish I did know. Um but it's it's really hard to say because I, I think you're right. Um, with anything um, that requires mass adoption, you, you have this sort of like steady growth of, of users and then it just reaches this sort of tipping point where all of a sudden um, everyone is on, you know? Um, and I, I think it's more difficult to say with NFTs because NFTs, it's not really a, a one description fits all concept. There are so many different ways that it can be used and so many applications it's more sort of like an underlying technology um 
And so when people do start using it, I think more often than not, they may not even know that they're necessarily using it or engaging. Um, you know, one, one way where I can see a lot of people beginning to use it is if they're sort of institutional, um, institutional buy-in. Um, so, you know, there's also one of the sort of the hottest use cases for NFTs at the moment is identity verification, verification of records, your your driver's license, your bank account, um, you know, your birth certificate, all of that being tied to like a soulbound token. So that's basically a, a, an NFT that's linked to a specific wallet that cannot be transferred out. Um, you know, when, when organizations and institutions start using that and requiring and you know, making that a requirement of of users to to verify their identity, I think that that can be one way in which we will see a huge uptick in the number of users um, doing that. But of course, in order to do that, we need to build a lot of tools that ease the onboarding um, and the the acquisition of NFTs. Certainly, the way it works right now um, would not uh, would not lead to mass adoption. Um, so I think I think that's one way. I, I, I think. I think the other way in which we will see um, mass adoption is simply uh, more brands um, using NFTs in their day-to-day interaction with their users. I think the problem with social media at the moment is that it's very one-sided right now. Um, So, you know, you'll you'll see an ad, you'll see a picture, you'll see an image um, from your brand that you love, but there's no way that you can really interact with that brand or its community other than in, in a comment section. Um, I think if brands start creating more multi-platform, multimedia experiences that require some kind of ownership to participate, i.e. The, the holding of a token, we will then see um, a, you know, a much larger uptake. Right now, it's simply you know, buying an NFT without understanding exactly what it does or what it unlocks for you um, is, is really a, a barrier to mass adoption along with sort of the technological problems, um, you know, of having to buy it, having to set up a wallet and things like that. But once we, once we see, you know, the ability to onboard with your, your Gmail, uh, buying with credit card, and once we see sort of concrete um, ways to participate after owning an NFT, I think we will see a huge uptake um, in its, or a huge uh, uptake. Yeah, in I, I first just want to just really bring out this very important point you mentioned about it being a technology, because I think it's so easy if people look at different use cases and different utilities to you know, forget what it actually is. It really is just a technology and anything that can be built on top of a technology, anything that that, 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 that technology is capable of housing will be created on top of it. And that is always the number one point that I keep on coming back to whenever I speak to someone is, if you are looking at NFTs as profile pictures or, you know, monkeys and you're a digital art, you're a very, very limited idea of the technology, which of course, this is what the media has been writing about. But my question then is, do you think it's even necessary for most people to, I mean, even know the term NFT? Because if I think about social media, let's use social media as an example. I I don't know how old you are, but I'm definitely from the generation where social media didn't exist uh, when I was in primary school. It didn't exist when I was in high school. I think I joined Facebook in 2004 and then I was first year or 2005. I was first year at university. 
I no, no I knew nobody on there. Like my friends took years to get onto Facebook. So I saw the birth of social media and I saw up until today, I also owned a digital marketing agency in the early days of social media and that kind of thing. So I really saw from the forefront how it changed society. Um, but the question is, definitely this technology is inevitable. I mean, we are like Web3 technology is, that's why it's known as the next generation of the internet. So it is inevitable. But do you think it's necessary for most people to even, I mean, if if, if brands are offering experiences and it's seamless, uh, and this is what's going to lead to a lot of mass adoption just by virtue of, do you think that the talk about NFTs and Web3 and crypto, do you think it's actually hindering adoption or do you think it's healthy? I mean, I know it's a very, it's a very nuanced question because you can definitely argue on both sides, but do you have a sort of general idea of yeah, where do you see things as being at the moment? Yeah, actually, um, I, I personally feel quite strongly about this. Um, and I, I actually see the culture and the terminology as actually very, very exclusionary. Um, so NFTs, I think there's we need to separate NFTs um, as a technology versus NFTs um, as a culture. I mean, NFTs as a technology, in you know, very high-level terms, is really this idea of some sort of digital asset or, or a unique string of numbers and letters representing some sort of underlying asset um, on a decentralized and public computer network. Right, um, very dry. Um, but NFTs as a culture is is this weird um, exclusionary language that you know the word crypt- crypto bros uh, love to use. Um, you know, when you go on Twitter and you're in the space, you see people saying things like "GM, we're all going to make it." It's, it's sort of on the sort of backdrop of of perpetuating memes and and, and quick and easy financial gain. Um, and for those who are outside of the space, it's sort of seen as scammy or as kind of douchey bro culture is what I, what I see, um, especially in the NFT space. And so I think that this is quite um, exclusionary. We we live in this sort of echo chamber where um, uh, someone who I spoke to the other day, uh, I think phrased it perfectly, you know, going to uh, Web3 or NFT events um, is really like going to a high school reunion where it's a bunch of people sort of self-affirming and, and sort of hyping each other up in that same space. But, you know, outside of the Web3 or the NFT echo chamber, most people are, are skeptical, see it as a scam or, or simply just do not care. Um, so I think that, you know, one of the key things to, to mass adoption um, is really removing that language. Um, and we wouldn't even be calling them NFTs anymore. It would simply just be some digital token or just this thing that, that you own, you know, so if you're a fan of, you know, Rihanna recently um, in, in conjunction with, uh, I forget the name of the company, but released an NFT. Um, so it'll be things like, do you, are you a part of the Rihanna fan club or do you own a Rihanna pass? You know? So I think would be where we should, and I hope that we do trend away from this sort of terminology and, and very exclusionary culture of memes and, and uh, you know, and financial gain to more just talking about digital memberships and, and just belonging to various communities. Yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. And I always feel as someone who hosts the show, for example, this is, it's such a tricky space to navigate because 
people that you really would like to listen to the show are not the ones that would listen to it because of the terms being used. Um, but at the same time, you need to use the terms because you are talking about something quite specific. And so it's a very, very strange time in which to be in this industry because it's so much in flux. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's an amazing time because I remember, again, the early commercial internet. Um, it was not the same because this is far more wild west because we have funding here that we, we you know, the lack of regulations here make things take on a completely different meaning than it did in the internet era uh, where things were still very tightly controlled and very regulated. Um, but in terms of what you are seeing with Webmint, um, do you think that, I mean, obviously big brands are always those who lead the way uh, in any kind of innovation. And I think we've seen quite a bit of experimentation so far. Um, like the leading brands for sure have, dip the toe and very often you could see that it wasn't perhaps even something that a large budget was attributed to i mean they they had someone in the company quickly test drive this and to see how it works and like the proof of concept i don't think has always been as spectacular as we think that brands would approach this kind of thing with but for a lot of them it was just you know let's see where this goes we'll experiment and see if there's anything to it but do you feel like now, and I'm, I'm really wanting to know, especially from the perspective of Webmint and kind of who you are dealing with on a daily basis, do you find that brands other than the big brands are starting to become interested and why are they becoming interested? What is the thing that is captivating their attention and wanting them to kind of pursue more of this? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, I think firstly, um, you know, big brands, Nike, uh, Starbucks, Gucci, they have done very well um, with their Web3 strategy, whether it's accidental, experimental or not. Uh, the fact is they've done very well. I mean, the beauty of the blockchain is all transactions are public. So you can easily see that Nike has made, you know, under $200 million from their Web3 strategy. Um, the beautiful thing about it is that they have done a lot of the marketing for us. You know, they've shown that brands can, uh, when done well, they can uh, benefit from, from this kind of technology. Uh, but of course, the majority of brands do not have, um, you know, $100 million in revenue to, to just randomly experiment. So, um, and also, you know, a lot of brands don't have this dedicated research team where they have a head of metaverse like Nike does or, or a head of Web3 um, that is able to sort of research and and, and give direction. Um, so I think a lot of the conversations uh, that we have is how you can sort of use uh, NFTs in a, in a low cost um, or low risk way that sort of adds to metrics that you're already used to. Um, so what you know things that brands look at uh, top line top line revenue, um, community or, or reach social reach. Um, and, you know, customer lifetime value. And these are some of the things that we we like to talk about. So, for example, um, for brands, they know that it's significantly cheaper um, to to retain a customer than to attract new customers. Um, and then I think Starbucks understands that as well. And so one of the great things that Starbucks Odyssey does is it's it offers more experiences for its existing customers. Um, 
and therefore reinforcing brand loyalty um, and customer retention. Uh, so, so, you know, when we do talk to brands, we talk about how you're able to use NFTs to, to create more multimedia, multi-platform digital experiences to have more touch points with your customers other than just them coming into your store or visiting your website, uh, but, but being, them being engaged with your brand all the time. Um, that's one thing we talk about. Uh, and the other is obviously the the ability to create additional revenue streams. I think that one is sort of what is pervasive in the culture at the moment. Um, and and the other one, I think, in terms of reach is, uh, yeah, we talk about how NFTs can help you reach a new, younger and more digital um, audience. One way we try to sort of highlight this is by looking at sort of social followings of brands in their Web 2 stage and Web 3 stage. So, for example, um, Porsche um, released an NFT. Uh, it didn't do that great, uh, in my opinion. But if you look at their sort of social following uh, between, you know, Porsche, the luxury car brand, and Porsche, the, the Web 3 brand, there's only about a 9% overlap between these fo two followings. And, and that says that, you know, by entering into the space, you're able to reach, uh, yeah, just a, a market that your traditional products and services may not reach. Um, in saying all of that, it, it is, we do face like collectively sort of this uphill battle um, in sort of educating brands on, on the benefits that NFTs can bring them in real terms. So beyond just talking about community exclusivity and loyalty, but really saying, you know, by doing this, you're able to boost your top line revenue by this much, um, you know, you're able to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and, and these are some of the conversations that we're trying to I mean have, I think um, it's sort of so important to meet forward. brands where they are and speak the language that they do and I remember in in my early career when I was convincing businesses to have websites um I mean it was such a strange position to be in because I mean look at look at the way things have gone like ha convincing a business to have a social media account or a website it's unthinkable now but there was a time when they completely couldn't see the utility of it. Like, why would I spend money? Why would I, you know, this is not something that's going to give me any return on investment. Um, but I want to ask, you You mentioned about reaching a different audience. Now, I find this an extremely fascinating topic because brands talk about, you know, kind of, let's say, Gen Z and younger than Gen Z as this alpha holy grail that they are all kind of ramming up to getting. And do you, do you find in terms of the Web3 community as, as it stands right now, um, how much of that is actually the, the, the target audience that they, I mean, if they, if they are talking about the next generation, um, how much of the next generation is actually in Web3? Um, you know, interest, not necessarily involvement, but in terms of interest, because um, that's something I find quite fascinating. My son is turning 17 and he has zero interest in Web3. <laughs> For him, it's, you know, he's a gamer and I mean, he's in his, his little underground culture and, and Web3 doesn't penetrate anywhere close. Um, so I'm finding it really, really interesting because we're seeing brand collaborations with Roblox and with Minecraft and with all of these Fortnite, but at the same time, are brands really able to capture the next generation through Web3? Or is this probably a slightly older generation that is now becoming more accessible in a way that maybe we were bored? I mean, if, if before you were used to being spoken to via email and via, you know, social media, Facebook page, and, and we're all over that. So where do you see this this generational uh, opportunity where where are the opportunities right now 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think just in terms of the statistics, um, I, I, I forget the number. I'm terrible with numbers, which is why I became a lawyer. But I think that I'm, 30% um, of people who are interested in NFTs, blockchain, are in that um, 25 to 35 um, group category, give or take. So I, I do think that that is where the, the interest lies. Um, you know, with the example of of your son who's 17, who's not interested in NFTs, the thing is, even if he's not interested, he is on the internet all the time. Whereas my mom, who is also not interested in NFTs, she's 56 and she goes on the internet for an hour a day. Um, so, you know, the thing is, even if your son is not interested right now, he is probably far more exposed to NFTs on a daily basis than, you know, people outside of that millennial um age group so I, I think the opportunities are there and as as we discussed before once we reach a stage where it's not mint your nft now but simply acquire digital membership in Fortnite, then he's really going to be you know more interested because he's not even thinking about nfts he's just thinking this is a great game this is a cool community let me get let me get involved um so i, I think it's all about messaging and and how you package uh what you're selling but in terms of the reach, uh, it's very much um, the internet generation because yeah, not, even just, not even just NFTs, but social messaging, advertising, it's all done over the internet these days. Um, and we're, we're you know, reaching a point, um, especially as these metaverses become more sophisticated, we're reaching a point where more and more of our lives are integrated on the internet. And we, we as you know, vain human beings, we're looking for more ways to, to flex and, and to sort of express our personalities through digital forms um, and NFTs, whether we're going to call them NFTs uh, in the future, we'll, we'll be able to offer that. Um, so I, I, I still feel that the the community and I think, or, you know, or is, the focus is, such is on an important that, yeah, point to make because I feel like a lot of conversation is still around the generational aspect. Okay, you're a millennial, you're a this, you're a that, and of course that's that's it's always helpful frameworks to have. But at the same time, we need to realize that as a species, we are evolving. Um, I was uh, before I before our call, I had an in-person meeting uh, with someone, which is quite rare, you know, in these days to have an in-person meeting with people. Um, so it's always the it's a, it's always a nice experience when you can actually connect human to human, face to face, instead of Zoom to Zoom. Um, but uh, we we were having exactly this discussion because this person's from Russia. I mean, at the at the moment, Russia is a very contested topic. So even, you know, like being Russian is very contested. And we were talking about, but as part of the digital internet generation, um, these 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 country borders and affiliations are almost becoming to an extent optional. I mean, of course, there's always the legalities that you need to deal with in terms of traveling and where you are. But we are a digital nation, global digital nation state. And this is, as I, I love the example you used about my son versus your mother, because for sure, neither one has any interest, but one has a very different tra tra trajectory going forward than the other one, um, because to be immersed in digital culture means whatever digital culture is going to bring, you will become part of it. And I think that is really the kernel of the conversation for me is this is just an evolution. Um, now, the question is, who is going to be driving this evolution? Um, we are in a capitalist society, so we know more or less how things usually work. Um, but 
again, coming back to what we said earlier about the purists and, you know, there's the philosophy and the, and the sort of tenets uh, around this, which I, I mean, personally, I'm very much uh, aligned with decentralized thinking from a political point of view. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we live in a society where, you know, <laughs> brands rule the world. And so do you think that what is happening right now uh, in terms of brand adoption, do you think that it's going to shape the space in a way that almost is intended? Or do you think we, they, there's still room to see completely unintentional but different directions uh, for things to go into? Sort of how how counterculture is this going to end up being? Or is this just the start of the new mainstream? I think it's a bit of everything. Um, I, I think to answer this, though, I, I think I can talk about, you know, what I think, who I think is going to drive the NFT culture. But that's very separate to, to sort of Web3 culture, because, you know, then we've got things like DeFi, which will probably be driven by by banks or what when we're waiting for the next bank to collapse. Um, but, you know, talking specifically about NFTs um, and, and just sort of buying them, showing them off and things like that. I, I personally think it's really going to be... Um, Brands, but I don't mean brands in the sense of your Nikes or Starbucks, but really brands as, as, as influencers or, or people or entities that have a very, uh, you know, that have a following. I mean, if we look at, for example, um, the impact the NBA had on on sort of sneakers um, and on, on, on culture, on hip-hop culture, you know, once basketball players started wearing certain types of clothes or, or certain types of shoes, uh, everyone really got into it. Um, you know, which is why now you see the Jordan brand being worth billions of dollars. Uh, you know, when Kanye West made a shoe or made multiple shoes, people were camping outside the shops to get their hands on on, on these shoes um, because these are cultural icons that people respect, love, and follow. Um, you know, perpetuating new ideas. So I, I, I personally think when it comes to NFTs, once we see certain brands um, or certain people really starting to push them um, and, and sort of the utility that they offer, we will, we will see a huge influx because we, we as humans, we kind of just follow the hype, right? We, we're all, we're all kind of mini hype beasts, um, especially the younger, uh, the young generation. And, and we, we can't help but want to be popular. So we, we will do what, you know, all the, all the cool, all the cool kids do. Um, I, I personally think like, and, and I'm, you know, I, I like to think that I'm, I'm above all of that, but I'm certainly a victim of it as well. You know, I, I personally didn't get into NFTs specifically because I saw this as, as a way of unlocking, you know, ownership and, and, and co-creation. I really got into it just because everyone was talking about it and it was like the hot thing to do. And that is really perpetuated or permeated by, um, by culture. Um, so I, I really do think that um, it, it, it will be, um, a brand, you know, Yuga Labs, for example, they are, you know, trying to be the Disney of, of Web3 and, and everything they do seems to strike gold. Um, and it's, you know, I, I would almost say that it's not because they're doing anything innovative, but it's because they have already sort of inserted themselves into the zeitgeist of, of, of Web3, of, of cool culture. So it wouldn't even matter what they did. Um, people would just buy into buy into it because because of the the, the sort of the reputation um, and the the omnipresent culture that they kind of have have cultivated whether or not that was by accident i do think a lot of it was you know, luck it, and it's, just it's fascinating pure coincidence, because but, if you think yeah. about followers 
being a social currency. Um, and we have, I mean, the rise of the influencer economy. Um, probably if you look throughout history, it, it's clear that it would have ended up here. Um, it's just that, you know, technology is what facilitated it to make it possible and scalable. Um, but I mean, we've always, we, we are the species that we, we follow a leader. Um, and this has been traditionally, religion used to be, you know, that you have the religious leaders and you have God on earth, so to speak, and, you know, whatever the affiliation of the religion is, but there are these leaders that everyone listens to. Um, and I mean, today we have influencers in the same way, like celebrity culture. When I was young, influencers were not a thing, but celebrity culture for sure was a thing. Um, so it's interesting now to see how technology and especially NFTs are changing the conversation in the sense that the social capital, I mean, having followers as your social capital is becoming more and more important with, I mean, it's almost as if the window of huge opportunities are already closing a little bit, because if you are an influencer or a creator in the Web2 space, um, I mean, it's the market is saturated. It's, it's, it's quite saturated. It's difficult to get a voice. It's difficult, especially with Web2 algorithms, different social media platforms. I mean, it's not... It's not for us as creators, it's against us. Um, you want to reach as many people as possible, but at the same time, the algorithms have their own you know, narratives and prerogatives. So how do you see that NFTs can, because this is a question that, I, that I'm wrestling with, um, especially as I write my book, is I see the huge opportunities that Web3 technologies in general and NFTs especially have for content creators who are existing content creators and know what it takes to build a community and know how difficult it is to create them, to retain them, to keep them engaged. And now there's this new technology and how do content creators who are savvy enough to try something new, but at the same time, their audience might not be savvy enough to try something new. So this is something that I'm seeing at the moment and I'm trying to make sense of for myself is what is this process going to look like if you are ready enough to take the next step and you want to bring people with you, but are they ready enough? Yeah, that's really the question for me. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, I I think that we right now we are limited by technology, right? Um, if you are an artist, a DJ, um, and you do have a healthy following, um, the at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to convince your followers to yeah download MetaMask, set up a seed phrase, go on to PancakeSwap, and then and buy it cryptocurrency um I, I think we're very very close and certainly at webmit we're very very close to building tools that um allow you to just seamlessly uh on seamlessly purchase um nfts um so uh, i think once once we have that technology in place and it's a seamless sort of interaction i really see the only barrier to to you know artists and creators uh, entering into the space is just simply marketing. It's, it has nothing to do with the technology at that point, but it's simply about convincing your uh, followers to simply um, purchase 
purchase uh, a piece of your work in a, in a different way, right? Like instead of going onto your, your Etsy store or your, uh, your Shopify store, it's to go onto your, you know, your web three integrated sales page. You can call it anything you want. Um, but I, I do think that we are now more acutely aware of how exploitative um, a lot of the web two industry is, especially for creators. I mean, um, Spotify takes, I think 30%, of your streams, um, you know, OnlyFans, um, you know, OnlyFans was 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 huge because it sort of offered creators autonomy and agency to monetize their work. But at the same time, OnlyFans is taking twenty percent of of anything that you produce. Um, and through streaming culture, I, I think um, we are conditioned to believe that art should be free. Because you know, we I pay nine dollars a month, and I I can listen to all the songs I want, um, and, and we don't realize that you know when a movie, for example, licenses a song, they are paying uh, you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, for the rights. Uh, but we're we're sort of just conditioned to believe that uh, they, these things should be free when they're really not. Um, but I think that we are becoming more aware of that, um, and we we are wanting to sort of align ourselves or, or more publicly show our support for, for fellow artists. Um, so, you know, there's specific artists that I really like um, that I want to support in a way that doesn't require intervention from Spotify or, or Warner Brothers music. Um, and I, I think that NFTs um, allow for that because I'm directly paying the artists. But the benefit for me now is that not only do I own a, a piece of the art, similar to, you know, when everyone used to buy albums, which was a very special experience back in the day, I am now able to identify, you know, on the internet, uh, which is my main medium of communication, other people who also share the same passion and love for their artists as I do, um, you know, through, through token gated communities, um, through, you know, uh, social media that's connected to token uh, to tokenization and even through Twitter, you know, who took Twitter now allows you to upload your, your verified NFT as your profile picture. So basically um, through this co-creation model, um, it becomes one of the most powerful global affiliate programs that can exist. Um, so to circle back to the original question, once we do have these, uh, these tools where it becomes really easy, um, I don't think it's about convincing, you know, the community that they need to adopt new technology, but it's really just convincing them that yeah, you know, I, there's a new way to, to show support. I, I'm um, even seeing it in that's... my, I mean, I'm very happy to experiment with any kind of technology whatsoever, but the, 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 the issue that I always faces outside of my professional circle, um, I'm alone, you know, it's my, my social circle. If they're not part of the industry, they're not nearly as experimental as I am. So the question is always kind of how to integrate this seamlessly into my own life. And I'm seeing this as a writer because um, I'm now uncovering the possibilities that NFTs have for beta readers, for example, you know, buy my NFT. I mean, I don't have an NFT and this is actually something that I'm thinking of. One of the use cases for my book is um, for example, I, I'm a single mother traveling. I'm dating at the same time. I want to be able to talk about it. I talk to some friends about it, but at the same time, it's not, you know, something I don't want to build a brand around it, but I, I, I have an outlet and I do, I want to talk to more people. Um, but I, at the same time, want it to be closed and contained. 
I don't want to start a newsletter and anyone can find it. So, you know, if I have an NFT collection focusing specifically on this, who knows where the work is going to end up going. But if you are a follower of the topic or you're interested in the way I talk about things, you can be part of that community. So I really see the the utility of it in everyday people's everyday lives at a level where for sure it's not obvious yet because we are not even seeing big brands integrate this. Um, but I, I'm very hopeful for a future where, because I, I, I love the example you used about OnlyFans because I think OnlyFans really awakened in a lot of people uh, the appetite for creation. Um, I mean, OnlyFans is brilliant in the sense like you really don't need much. You don't need to make fancy PowerPoint presentations, you know, and, and, and know what's popular on, I don't know, Instagram real culture at the moment. I mean, OnlyFans is really whoever you are, there's a market for people like you. And, and, and that message is so incredibly powerful because I think in terms of the way that society is today, I mean, everyone has something to say, but the problem is that because everyone has something to say and it's very easy to say it, who, no one listens to anybody. Um, and I'm really excited about what, because I almost feel, you know, in a world of globalization where the world has never been smaller, but it's becoming very important to, I want to use the word token gate, but as a metaphysical uh, description, because we, we are finding ourselves in a, like, like if I, again, if I look at my son, um, he doesn't use social media at all. So for me, that's almost unthinkable. He's on Discord and that's it. Um, and he's not even in service. I mean, he is in service, but, you know, he's got his circle of friends and, and they, it's not easy to gain entry to the circle of friends, you know, typical, as you say, the high school sort of mentality, but, but I feel it's very important in our, in our modern day culture for people to find global alignment with small groups of people. And Facebook in the early days, I think was quite a lot of this. I mean, if you remember the the golden era of Facebook groups, and if you are part of this group, then, you know, you found your tribe around the world but now the question is, I mean, <laughs> Facebook is no longer that. So so what is that? So do you think that NFTs are an answer here, that it will be able to unite people across multiple social media platforms? Like almost the social media platforms might become optional or superfluous, but the community is the, the kernel. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, OnlyFans, going back to OnlyFans, um, it really did highlight our appetite, not only our appetite for content creation, but our willingness to pay for it. Uh, I think that I, I think that's the key thing. And NFTs really do transform the model because typically um, you will now, you know, with NFTs, you are encouraged to actually buy your way into a community right before that the digital membership model was i will give you my email address i'll give you some personal information about me and then you'll give me access to all of these things but because it was effectively free you know my my choices were a lot more free-flowing but when, when you have a monetary assignment that really does draw a line in the sand of where your loyalties lie and where you belong um and and the and the difference is every within web 2 Whatever you're a member, whatever you're a part of, um, what what newsletters or what what uh, subscriptions you have, what Spotify artists you listen to, they're all contained within that system. So you know, 
on Spotify, I can see all of my other fellow uh, Rihanna fans. But once I go out of Spotify and into Instagram, it's, it's very hard to tell. Whereas NFTs, um, you know, with the, the rise of, you know, Web3 integrated applications, APIs and whatnot, you're able to see what people's interests are and what to what groups they belong across a variety of applications. So I think the way I, I sort of see NFTs, especially in the future, is, especially a collection of NFTs, is basically fragments of someone's identity and fragments of their personality. Um, from this, we can, you know, garner things like your interests, your values, your dislikes, um, and things like that. And it just, in, in an increasingly digital age, it just makes it very, very easy to quickly know whether you align or you share the same interests with someone else because the reality is we are too busy to have the in-depth conversations with everyone and if we want to create a group like a facebook group um but we want to make sure those who come in are are genuine members and have genuine interest in the values that we hold um nfts is a great way to do that because it's it's not free um there there needs to be some sort of commercial buy-in um, and because it's really a sign, the a wallet is unique to its holder. It's really something that is tied to you, yeah, not just is, within the confines. It's really of interesting if you think about it from a brand perspective. Like a right now, you have brand insights gained and gleaned through Web two means, which, in some sense, yes, could be considered accurate to an extent. But but I personally, if I look at, for example, as a consumer, um, what is being targeted at me. I really don't feel like the powers that be in the Web2 world really know or understand me. Um, So I don't resonate with being advertised and marketed to, which is very positive in the sense that it's easy to reject. But on the other hand, from the perspective of a brand, I mean, that's really not what you want. You don't want people to just easily go and say, no, 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 no. You want the opposite response. Um, So what is fascinating is really if we talk at this level where you are able to look at the fragments of someone's uh, digital existence, because you and I have a common and a common common interest here, but we don't know what other interests there are. Maybe there are no other common interests. Maybe this is the only place where you and I can find something to talk about, or maybe this is but one, but how would we know? And I love what you said about you cannot have in-depth conversations with everyone. I would love to. I mean, I would love to live in a world where this is all I do all day. But unfortunately, there's not enough time and not enough energy and not enough people. Like There's too many people and not enough of the resources. So it is a very, very easy snapshot. And in a sense, I almost feel like it's a more holistic snapshot because I mean, if if you look at the way that that user personas, like brand personas, are typified, and you know, very sort of almost a strict uh, stereotypical approach. Whereas with NFTs, because people, especially as it starts integrating more into society, you are going to end up seeing people with vastly different interests, and you'll even be able to find commonalities with someone without having to say a word, just based on, oh, but I might not even be part of the same NFT communities, but I see your interests, and therefore, so do you think that it has, I I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to wrap it up here, Um, do you think that it has wider social implications for, you know, how people communicate in general for instance um are we going to get to a point where it's almost you know now we are googling 
people to know more about them. But do you, do you think there'll come a point where we look at what NFTs they own or, you know, kind of as much a part of their digital identity uh, and to see this sort of 360 view of who, who they represent themselves to be? Absolutely. I, I think I think there is a downside that I want to highlight, which is that we may start uh, making assumptions on very superficial things. You know, I look into your wallet, I, I see that you like, you know, clothes, certain artists, and then, you know, I will assume that is all of you where, and, you know, humans are, are complex and, and can't really be labeled. Um, but I, I, I do think that it will increase the efficiency of, of building an identity. But I think more importantly, I think what it will do is it will reverse um, the, the ownership model where I, as the consumer, am in control of the, the parts of my identity that I want to show. And I can choose when to give that away and when to hold it for myself. Um, one thing that, you know, really made the internet very prevalent and, and made targeted adverts for Google and Facebook such a profitable business model was because of cookies, right? This idea that we're leaving little crumbs of, of, of our activity on the internet that allow these brands to really build a profile of us. And that was, you know, how targeted ads worked. Um, now we're entering this phase where, especially where I live in Europe, um, you know, targeted ads, uh, third-party cookies are slowly being outlawed. Um, and there's sort of this greater demand for agency, you know, the right to be deleted or the right to be forgotten, um, you know, and Apple with their app that, you know, allows you to turn off tracking, um, and so what we see more and more, especially in the sort of the media industry, is this drive for first-party information. So like content gating um, pieces of content in exchange for information. You tell me your interests, your name, your email address, and I'll unlock uh, you know, this article for you. And I, I think that NFTs will be an extension of that. And if you think about it, NFTs are basically the perfect cookie. It is my online identity, my interests, and the things that I genuinely value all stored in one place. Um, and if I, you know, and I think what we're going to see is a lot more ex a voluntary exchange where if I give you access to my wallet, um, you will give me the relevant information that I want, as opposed to this involuntary model that we do see with ads, um, ads and cookies. And I think that's going to be the biggest change where, you know, because we are able to curate our wallets, if I don't want, if I don't want a certain brand, or if I don't want you to know that I like Taylor Swift, which I, I love Taylor Swift, but I, I probably don't want people to know that I can, you know. I guess, theoretically, remove that or transfer that elsewhere. Um, whereas if I do want to advertise that I, I do like Taylor Swift uh, and I want to connect with everyone else that does, um, there's, you know, through NFTs, there's multiple ways uh, to do that. Um, and But the, I think the key factor is I am now in control of who knows that as opposed to through my mostly unconscious internet activity, you know. But I think that's such an important point to highlight because I'm um, also based in Europe and, and, out and then I, it always strikes me having options in terms of data privacy in Europe that you don't have anywhere else. So it forces you to become, I mean, I'm already conscious and mindful of it, but for the average person, um, the stark contrast between being anywhere else and, you know, you just being tracked and uh yeah you have no idea what's happening to you and then you enter this region and suddenly there's options and i mean who knows what to click and most people probably just click accept all anyway but but at least there's options um and i think this is something that i that i really see in terms of different pockets of readiness um because you have 
you know, as aspects of society where people are already aware that, hey, I can say no. But then this is very regulatory in the sense that if you're in Europe, it has to be enforced. It's not, you know, it's not optional. Um, whereas in other parts of the world, it's not. So people don't have to think about it. Um, but but this really helps you to understand the possibilities going forward, because as people become more conscious, the thing is, we are almost sites, we are almost skipping over the need for other countries to have the same sort of measures that, that, that the European Union does in the sense that if you are with Web3, I mean, especially as it becomes more seamless to use, um, you have those options innately available to you, whether like whether you're aligned with it or not. Um, I remember often having this conversation with people on Facebook, like friends and family that use Facebook and their, their privacy settings, like not, not understanding that they can actually change the privacy settings and sharing things that probably if they stopped to think about it, they wouldn't want to share with the entire world, but not knowing that, you know, it's possible to maybe change those options. So I think what we, what we are seeing is the options are increasing, um, which is a really fascinating and exciting time to be in where options are becoming like there's more of a collection of options than before. Um, but final question, because I know now we are really over the time. Um, you have a fascinating history in, in the sense that you came into the space, legally speaking, um, and from a more professional sort of business standpoint than the average person who heard about it on the street and, and was like, aha, this is my way to make money. And, and I lost a lot or I gained a lot and who knows, but so how, as someone who has had this journey into web three, um, how do you feel that going forward, uh, do you feel this is the way that most people should be uh, onboarded, so to speak, uh, that it should be more of a brand experience as opposed to exploring it, you know, in the wild west that, that, like, that I certainly did. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't led here by a brand. Um, and that's, that's meant that I, I saw things differently than if it was my stocks experience that got me here. Um, but with your background, what do you think is the best way for most people to enter the space um, through through the brand experience? I mean, I think it's it's one thing to enter the space, but it's another to stay in it. Um, you know what we saw when the crypto uh, when crypto crashed in I think 2018 and when NFTs crashed last year was that a lot of people who had entered for purely basically for financial gain had had left, um, and, and you know other than the hardcore sort of Web three maximalists, um, it, it's a pretty bare space now, right? You know, it's no coincidence that all of a sudden everyone who is on my LinkedIn who professed to be NFT experts are now all of a sudden AI experts, right? Like, <laughs> um, so I, I think that people, I, I don't think there's a right way to enter it, but I, I think that it needs to be more than financial gain because I, I think there is still an association between NFTs, crypto, um, with 
making money very quickly. Um, and when the, that, that illusion dissipates, um, people leave the space. So, so whatever way they enter, I, I just, I think it needs to be beyond that. Um, in the NFT space specifically, I, I do think that community and belonging is the way not only to bring people in, but to get them to stay when, when, you know, when everyone's turning their back on, um, NFTs. Because uh, one thing that I found quite interesting is, um, as you mentioned at the start of this episode, um, my team we did launch a NFT project. Um, it has about it had in its heyday about three hundred and fifty thousand followers organically. Um, obviously, a lot of that community had left. We, we built a Discord server. Um, a lot of the community had left once the floor price started sinking. Uh, but what we found, because we we engaged with an analytics company, and what we found was that even though the and the Discord activity had decreased uh, significantly, the per user activity had increased. So what that meant was that once all the noise disappeared, all of the hardcore believers were the ones who were left to stay and they were able to connect with each other and freely communicate and, and feel a sense of belonging in a community. Now all the noise was gone where, you know, people were just yelling GM at each other every, every three seconds. Um, and those were the people who stayed, you know, sure there is, financial motivation there but those are the people who really stayed because they they identified with the values of the project uh with the community and with the utility that it offered um so i i think yeah the way for people to come in and more importantly for the way for them to stay in the space is really about yeah identification uh, with nft specifically it's really about community identifying with the community alignment with the values and just the sense of belonging. Well, that is a beautiful way to close off today's conversation because I think at the end um, of the day, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it doesn't matter what section of society you're involved with, but ultimately it is about community and we use it as a buzzword, but I mean, really it's about human to human connection and the more that this can be fostered and facilitated, especially in a digital world where we don't have the face-to-face, but we still want to feel we we want to feel understood and seen in the same way that we used to feel when we were in person. Um, so yeah, I love, love, uh, love that summary. Uh, Cause I think it really encapsulates a lot of what web three and NFTs are all about. Um, so any closing words before we end today's uh, lovely conversation? And then also please let us know when, where, where would be the best place to follow you, uh, where to follow Webmint, kind of how to get involved. Um, yeah, uh, I think I've said a lot today. Um, so the, the only closing thought I, I have is, uh, if you're, you know, if you're thinking about getting into NFTs, into buying an NFT, I would urge you to, uh, think about the purpose behind the NFT, uh, beyond just the ability to make money. Um, in, in terms of following socially, um, Webman replace the E with a three. Um, if you Google us, we should be the first, uh, link that comes up. If not, I'll need to rework the SEO, but I, I think that's the best way to keep in touch. Um, you know, we, we build software for not just mainly for brands, but, you know, for any kind of Web3 projects or anyone looking to dip their toes well, into the space. Where are you personally the most um, Please reach out to you? us, join our Discord, and we'd be more than happy to um, help you out. Oh, uh, me personally on Discord, it's at Alice Australia, so... Uh, just, just to also just to put a caveat on that, um, I'm called Alice Australia, not because I'm catfishing or pretending to be a female online, um, but my sister's name is Alice. She lives in Australia, 
during COVID, uh, the best way for us to connect, you know, I'm in Berlin, she's in Australia, was through Discord. And um, she that's awesome. for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I need now, Discord to communicate so, with my son. Australia. So I feel, I, I feel, yeah, I know exactly what um, you mean. David, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I think that we, we, we covered so much ground in terms of, you know, really just different aspects of the space and the thinking behind it. Um, really looking forward to distilling some of what we spoke about in shorter clips uh, so that it's easily digestible by people because I think there was so much wisdom and so much richness here. Um, yeah, and thank you so much for just spending this time with me today. Um, it's definitely the, my, my, my favorite part of my job is to be able to speak to people like you and just see how the space is evolving, like how society is evolving, really, which is what it comes down to. Um, so, yeah, I thank you. And it's been amazing to connect with you. I will definitely be following closely what you guys are doing with Webmond because I think this is the future of uh, of adoption. It's going to be exactly like we've been talking about. I mean, making it as easy for for people to onboard as possible. If I need anything other than my Gmail account, Probably I'm not going to be interested. If I need to pay with anything other than a credit card, probably I won't be interested. So I think the work that you're doing is incredibly important in terms of getting us to just wherever we are going to end up going with this. But but we need the tools that we've been using and we need to continue using those tools. So yeah, really, really excited for uh, what you guys are going to do. Um, looking forward to following along. So thank you very much for just this amazing time today i'm really happy that we got the chance to do this cheers david have a good day whereabouts are you based by the way you said you're in europe which country which country are you likewise anytime okay i was in germany last week i'm in uh, croatia at the moment um yeah i just got back to zagreb like a couple of days ago i was in paris for nft paris and then from from there i just traveled and uh visited germany as well but uh Wish I'd, no- wish I'd known that, that I could have met up with you there. But anyway, I'm happy that we were able to do it even remotely uh, as all things happen yeah. nowadays. <laughs> Cheers, David. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the future of NFTs. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform like Spotify or iTunes. Connect with AdLunum on Twitter at AdLunum Inc. or our website, adlunum.cc.